you are listening to By the Book. Because if you don't look at the world through the Bible, you will never see it right. You are listening to episode 94 of By the Book. This is Alan Griffith, your host. And we are delighted that you are listening today. We are in a topic of great importance. And the challenge for the Christian is to make sure that we don't love the world, that we're different from the world. We reject the world and we reject the ways and the things of the world because if we don't, it is a testimony that we don't really love God. And if we really do love God, we really give him first place in our lives, then that will change our life. Now, last time we were talking about the need to reject worldly ways, and we were discussing, finishing up discussion of Galatians chapter 5, dealing with the works of the flesh. We spent just a few moments talking about an, another warning that comes out of 1 John 2, and that has to do with the lust of the eyes. And we talked about Job, who made a covenant with his eyes, and how dangerous eyes can be. And yet the Lord Jesus told us to lift up our eyes and to see the fields that were white unto harvest. And so eyes can be used, obviously, for the glory of God, but eyes can also take us down. Let me read to you, just to get us back in the context of our discussion, let me read to you from 1 John 2, uh, verse 15, verse 16. Here's what it says. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There it is, clear, clear as can be. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, here's what's in the world, the world that we're not supposed to love, the lust of the flesh, that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, that's in the world, and the one we're going to talk a little bit about today is the pride of life, that's in the world. And then John says of these three things that they are not of the Father. These things don't come from God but rather says, verse 16, but is of the world. And I remind you again, the world is that cosmos, that system that we live in. We're in it. You're in it. You're in it every day. You were born into it. And I'm born into it. But when you get saved, you're no longer of it. You're no longer at home here. Heaven is home. But we are here in it, but not of it, but here for a purpose. The purpose is that we have been sent to the world by our Lord, that we might be a testimony to the world so that they might come to Christ. But you and I cannot be a testimony if our lives are marked by the lust of the flesh and what it produces, the lust of the eyes and what that produces and also the pride of life. Wow, what a challenge. What a challenge for us. I want you to think about pride. We made reference to it last time, the pride of life. Pride is a destroyer. Pride will ruin our lives, and it will ruin the lives of others. Let me take 
a moment to put this idea into your mind about pride. Bitterness. Bitterness, which I believe is the plague of Christianity today. Bitterness is rooted in pride. Bitterness comes when somebody does something to hurt us, or it can come even when God allows something or brings something into our lives, and and we get we get angry. Now, normally it's people. People say something, people do something, people hurt us. And we respond in anger, and it becomes a deep-seated anger. It becomes bitterness. Bitterness is rooted in the idea of poison, and our life is poisoned by bitterness. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that that will ruin us, and it will affect the people around us, all because of pride. I've been hurt. You've been hurt. We need to be careful how we respond to the hurts. We need to run to God, not run the other way, and get ourselves into deep, deep trouble. So what is pride? Well, I'm just going to give you some terms, uh, terms I'll suggest, but, uh, but you know what pride is because you have it and I have it. To be proud is to be self-centered. And by the way, the Bible tells us that one of the things that God hates is the proud look. Well, to be proud is to be self-centered. It's all about you. You don't care about other people. You just want your needs met, which leads to a selfishness. You'll do for yourself what you won't do for others, even if though, though they might need it and deserve it. To be pride, proud is to be conceited. You're very focused on how good you think you are, how successful you are, or whatever it might be. It's a vainglory. It's, it's boasting. Boasting in what you do, boasting in what you have, it's arrogance, a brazenness and arrogance in the way you treat people. Then it's a complacency where you're, you're satisfied with yourself, you're good enough, you're pleased with who you are, what you do, how you live, and then haughtiness. All these things are rooted in pride. Let me share with you just briefly uh, the experience of really one of my favorite men in Scripture. But he got in trouble, real trouble, because of pride. And that man is the wonderful prophet of God, Elijah. Elijah was willing to stand for God. Elijah's problem, as you know, was that he got to the point of thinking that he was the only one who was standing for God. And that attitude got in the way of his service for God and got in the way of his total ministry. It shows up when he is challenging the people of Israel it's recorded in 1 Kings 18, he was challenging them to make a choice. And the choice he set before the people was basically this. If Jehovah is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, 
then follow him. And then Elijah made this statement, and it would come back to haunt him. Because verse 22 of 1 Kings 18 says this, Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, Elijah had been faithful to the Lord. The nation was going astray, the leadership of the nation, Ahab, Jezebel, going astray, leading the people into idolatry. And Elijah was standing firm, unapologetically standing firm. But that stand, and again, his thought that he was the only one standing, got him into trouble. And again, he made the declaration to the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Well, you know, the time would come when maybe because of uh, his own pride, but but other elements to be sure, where he is threatened by Jezebel, the queen of Israel, and she tells him that she's going to kill him. And instead of standing for God in faith, in that occasion, he runs. And he runs a long way away. He runs probably, oh, 250 miles south. When that guy runs, he runs. And he gets all the way down to Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. You might know the story. He climbs up that mountain. He gets in a cave, and he's kind of hiding there, feeling secure, I guess, from the threat of Jezebel. And the Lord comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And Elijah and I'm reading now in verse 10 from 1 Kings 19, Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Well, I don't want to take all the time to go through the whole experience, but God basically shows Elijah that even though Ahab and Jezebel had not surrendered to the Lord, that God could do anything he wanted to do to break them. But this experience really became about Elijah, the prophet, instead of Ahab and Jezebel, the heathen. And God has to deal with. Elijah. And so after God deals with him to a point in verse 14, he has just asked him again, Elijah, why are you here? Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Pride. Pride. And finally, the Lord has to deal with 
the pride, and he says to Elijah, verse 18, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. And sadly, I want to tell you, that did not conquer the pride in Elijah. And for all practical purposes, his ministry as a prophet would come to an end as a result of this experience because the pride never got conquered. And I am reminded that God tells us that he resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And Elijah, who had no doubt been humble at an earlier point in his life, had this pride develop, and it took him out of the ministry, and it ruined his testimony. Well, where does pride come from? Well, it's the way of the world. It's the way of the world. And I want to remind you that these areas we've been talking about, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, are the paths that the world follows. It's what moves the world. It's what motivates unsaved people. And the challenge that God is giving us is we're in the world, not of it. These things must not move us. These things must not motivate us. Now, we talked about these things as temptation. And I'm not going to spend uh, a lot of time talking about this, though I've alluded to it a couple of times. But, you know, Eve was tempted, and Adam with her, but Eve initially tempted and fell. And she was tempted by the devil coming to her and showing her this forbidden fruit. And here's what Eve recognized about the fruit that she was not supposed to eat. Number one, it was pleasant to the eyes. In other words, that fruit that Satan offered her appealed to her eyes and created a desire in her. And then it says that that piece of fruit was good for food. Eve recognized that. And that appealed to the desires of her flesh, that she could eat that seemingly delicious fruit, even though God told her not to. And then it says that she also recognized that that fruit was to be desired to make one wise. And there was the appeal to pride. Now, the reason I point that out at this point is because I want us to see that these three elements of the world and how the world works, which become sources of temptation for us in Eve's situation, were all, all three of them, wrapped up in a single experience and, in fact, in a single piece of fruit. 
Now, when we think of our Lord Jesus, he was tempted in the same areas. He was tempted by the devil. It's recorded in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. And he was tempted by the devil in these same three areas. But he was tempted in completely different circumstances. So you might recall, and I'm in Luke chapter 4 for a few moments, but it says, verse 1, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. In those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. The devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. What was he doing? Well, the Lord Jesus was hungry. He was legitimately hungry, but he was fasting. He was serving the Lord, and the devil comes along and said, Why don't you turn that stone into bread, and that would give you something to eat? That was a separate area of temptation. Satan looking for some response from the flesh, if you will, of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, he had no flesh. Verse 5, the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world. Showed, eyes, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will I give it. If you will fall down and worship me, I'll give it to you. Sight, eyes, what you can see. That's what the devil was trying to use against the Lord Jesus. Look, look at all the kingdoms of the world and the glory associated with them. Look, because I'll give them to you if you'll worship me. Looking for lust in the eyes of the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. There was no lust in him. And then we jump down to verse 9. It says, he, the devil, brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. What was the challenge there? Well, the challenge there was pride. The dare, if you will. I dare you to jump off. God said he would take care of you. I dare you. And the Lord Jesus said, well, you're not supposed to tempt God. So the Lord Jesus rejected the temptations. But I, what, what I want us to see and to recognize is, again, that in the experience of Eve, the three realms of temptation were all wrapped up in a single experience, indeed a single piece of fruit. In the experience of the Lord Jesus Christ, the three temptations were individual and separate, separate in time, separate in experience, three different experiences. Turn the stone into bread, that's one. Fall down and worship me, I'll give you the uh, the kingdoms, that's two. Jump off the pinnacle, that's three. Different temptations, if you will, different locations, if you will, 
but still in the three areas, the three realms of temptation. And again, I want you and me to recognize that that is how temptation works. You and I might find all three of those things in a single experience, or you and I might find them in different experiences, but these are the ways the devil tempts us. And what he's doing is he is tempting us to follow the ways of the world. Remember, these things are described in 1 John 2 as the world and the things of the world. So again, I guess I'm emphasizing it for myself and for you, that the world is operating and the challenge of the devil, and unfortunately, the the often internal willingness of us is to go and live exactly the way the world lives, to function as the world functions. And you and I are called upon to reject that, to resist that. Now, here's the wonderful thing, and I want to take us in a little different direction because I want to take the remainder of our time in this episode to help us to realize that God has made provision for us to have victory. We are not on our own. We are not operating in our own strength. At least we don't have to because each of these areas of the ways of the world and therefore the temptation that comes to us, each of these areas has been dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ when he died on that cross. And when he died on the cross, the Lord Jesus accomplished a lot of things. And many of them we don't think about and we don't realize immediately. But I want to talk about these three areas and the fact that provision has been made for us on the cross of the Lord Jesus, and therefore we have the ability, we have the provision to win this battle. Now, of course, we've already seen that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and if we will walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But that's experience. I want to go back to the cross and see provision. So I'm back in the book of Galatians, And right now I'm in chapter 2 and verse 20. This is a verse you might have memorized. Here's what Paul said. He said, I am crucified with Christ. It's going back to Christ being crucified. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved me and he gave himself for me. 
So what's that have to do with these areas of temptation? Well, the first line of verse 20 is this, I am crucified with Christ. And the emphasis here should be placed on the term I. The Greek term for I is spelled this way, E-G-O. We would say in English, ego. If you pronounce it in Greek, you would say ego, but it's ego. What's ego? Ego is my pride problem. Ego, it's all about me, my ego. What a a dangerous situation you and I have with this ego, this pride issue, this pride problem. But what did Paul say about his ego? He said, my ego was crucified with Christ. You know what? Your ego was crucified with Christ. My ego was crucified with Christ. What's that mean? It doesn't mean that I automatically have victory every day. I wish I did. I wish you did. But I'll tell you what it does mean. It means this. I don't have to be defeated by pride. I don't have to lose that battle. I don't have to end up in bitterness. I don't have to go through life haughty and arrogant. I don't have to do that. I don't have to live all about me. I don't have to do that. I can do that. But the Lord Jesus died on the cross to make a provision for me so that I could have the pride in my life, and we're all stuck with it. I could have that pride in my life conquered because of Calvary. Now, you and I need to lay claim to that. Let me go over to Galatians chapter 5. I want to watch our time because I want to wrap this part up in, in this particular episode. We had looked in Galatians chapter 5, and we saw the works of the flesh. And then if we come down to verse 22, which we did not earlier, but if we come down to verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and then you know the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, let's go to verse 24. And it says, and they that are Christ's. In other words, the people who belong to Christ. Do you belong to Christ today? Are you saved? Are you sure? It's wonderful to be saved. It's wonderful to be sure. It's wonderful to know that I am saved and I belong to Christ. I hope that's where you are. But now what does Paul say about that? He says, they that are Christ, those people who belong to Christ, listen to the rest of the verse, have, that's past tense, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. What wonderful hope is given to us We spend time talking about the lusts of the flesh, the strong desires that come up out of that flesh and what they can do to us, how they can destroy us, the adultery, the fornication, the uncleanness, the murders, the drunkenness, the whole list. And then Paul said, but I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. 
those affections and lusts of the flesh were crucified with Christ. Those problems that I have that can show up and destroy me and destroy other people, those problems were dealt with when Christ died on the cross of Calvary. The provision was made for me and for you to have victory in those areas. I'm so grateful. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul said here, but God forbid that I should glory, save, that means accept, save in the cross, there's the crucifixion, save or accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to it. By whom? By Christ on that cross. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what? The world doesn't like me and I don't like the world. But the world was dealt with on the cross. The world was dealt with. And what did the world represent in the temptation of Christ? Well, that had to do with the lust of his eyes. Look at the world. And that's your problem. That's my problem. I look at that world and I see things and I lust after them. I want them. I want to have that. I want to have more. I want to have better. I want to have bigger. And we forget about who we are. We forget about why we're here. We sometimes forget about how we're supposed to live. The devil can take us down. He's the one who comes with the temptation. He's the one who goes after us. He is walking about the earth looking to destroy people. And he's looking to destroy you and me. And so we come back to 1 John chapter 2. Stop loving the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are of the world. Why? Because if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. We're only fooling ourselves. You can't have it both ways. Lord bless you till next time.